So welcome to the first episode of um, the Craig K Experience. I've gone for like a really, um, you know, bland title. I thought, what can I possibly call it? And then I thought, I'm good at talking about me, so I'll talk about me. <laughs> so welcome to the Craig K Experience. Thank you. What, what's your name and where'd you come from? Um, Ian Pettigrew. Yep. So Kingfisher coach in Manchester and Liverpool. So can you tell us a little bit about Kingfisher coach and what, what does that mean? What does that do? So set it up 11 years ago. Um, there are two of us, uh, although we use a few associates. And at the heart of it, the kind of the main thing we do is leadership development and coaching. And the leadership development piece is the kind of the key thing that I, I do most of is run a series of workshops called Empowering True Strength. And it's about helping leaders to lead, to be who they are, um, to play to the strengths, um, to be resilient. And particularly, though, to create a space for other people to, to do the same. Um, and as part of that, you know, two of my areas of deep expertise are in strengths and resilience. So, so I often do a lot of standalone work that's either around strengths or resilience. Um, around half of my time is spent working in healthcare. So do a lot of work in the NHS, work with healthcare in the Middle East, um, working with frontline care workers at the moment. Um, and then outside of that, work with a bank, work with, um, I was working in Berlin a little while ago before lockdown, um, with, with all sorts of different types of organisations. I was just talking to you prior to kind of starting this podcast, and I feel like in this kind of old HR or L&D type roles, we're very good at talking about content or other people, other performances, other businesses, but we never really spend the time talking about us. So the point of these kind of like podcasts is getting to know people a bit better. So the title of this one, uh, I love a pun, uh, the title of this one is going to be Getting to Know Ian Pettigrew. I don't know what you guys <laughs> like, uh, you know, that took me that took me five minutes to think of that kind of like title for this. Uh, but how does a Scouser living in Manchester uh, start up Kingfisher Coaching? What, what's the journey being like? Wait, so what I'm kind of after is when did your career start? <laughs> long time ago, mate. <laughs> long time ago. Um, so potted history. Um, so my first degree is in applied statistics and computing. Um, and I worked in the chemical and pharmaceutical industry. So I've done jobs like business analyst, business, business systems analyst, knowledge management consultant, um, done loads of sort of strategic roles, um, led lots of change initiatives, um, done some development work, some coding sort of right at the uh, outset, although my skills are what about 28 years out of date in that at the moment, bit of a geek at heart. Um, then did a postgrad in business, then did a degree in theology. Um, wow. And I, I had, it was when I was working, I remember there were two things that simultaneously happened. So I was working at AstraZeneca um, and two things happened. Um, one was that I was really unsettled. I felt like I wasn't achieving, um, you know, had a good job, um, mm. nothing to complain about, but I had this sort of, now nah, I've got a lot of untapped potential you know, that nobody's sort of helping me to, to, to really untap and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. So I was, you know, reading really widely and doing all sorts of courses and self-development and stuff. Um, and then the other thing that happened was we had a, um, a leadership program at the time that I had been an attendee on and 
um, it got canned because of a, a funding um, from what I remember. And so the external facilitators were no longer involved. And they, before the programme sort of wound down, said, well, hang on, there was an attendee on the last course that we think could uh, could run quite a bit of this. And it was me. And they'd sort of spotted something in me. So I um, trained as a coach, retrained um, and kind of it almost became a bit of a sideline within, you know, uh, as part of my day job um, that I was doing coaching, uh, lots of development, team development in particular, facilitating workshops, um, kept getting asked to help other people out. um, And yeah, had a long term ambition then that. I couldn't see the job I wanted to do within the company. So I had a plan to set up on my own. Um, and, and yeah, d- did final year. That, so worked as my final job. I was change director for R&D finance. So leading larger organization and then um, as a, a team coach. So I left just over 11 years ago. And the plan was um, to do mostly coaching, not so much leadership development, um second thing was to free up time to do charity work and and things that I care about and I'd figured that I couldn't make enough money off the coaching so because I'm a bit of a statistical geek at heart I've traded in currencies and CFDs on the uh, international markets as a bit of a hobby um and you know, so in fact, I've still got it. I've got my little TV next to my monitor in my study because that was my original setup was the coaching would be the stuff I really wanted to do, you know, and would pay a little bit of money. Um, the charity work, obviously, I wouldn't get any money for. Um, and the, what would actually pay the mortgage and keep it going, keep us going would be the uh, the trading. Um, and then quickly found that I didn't enjoy the trading once I turned it into a job. Yeah. Um, and actually, things went really well business wise as well. First of all, I kind of think about the currency market type stuff. And I kind of think to myself, I put £5 on a Skybet accumulator and I feel nervous. So <laughs> something tells me that that might not be the career angle for me. The other one was kind of like, it feels like um, a really extensive operational background that led into strategy. And because they wanted more people involved in that, they lent on your kind of, I suppose, natural skill set to try and get people up to that standard or thereabouts to a point where you almost like, no, I wouldn't say disillusioned, but almost like reframed where you wanted to take it, uh, um, which was the creation of. Yeah, I, I think there was. See, there's loads of jobs I can do, yeah. you know, and I can turn my hand to lots of things, like lots of people, and I've had lots of jobs that have kind of not quite been a fit for me. And uh, with a, a nod to Rob Baker, I've tried to do some job crafting and sort of mold them to me. And sometimes I've had the scope and sometimes I haven't. Um, I just think it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do when I, I grew up. There's occasions where I've, I've sort of thought, oh, I wish I'd discovered this years ago, you know. Yeah. Um, but then people I know well have pointed out to me that what I bring to situations is an accumulation, you know, of that uh, that experience over the years. So making reference to kind of like earlier in your career, what kind of key advice? So people that kind of want to get to a place of um, either working in operations that want to get to making their own entity or um, trying to gain a little bit more career focus, what what key kind of skills would you take out that you kind of, what was the key moments when you sat down and thought, I'm changing tact, I'm doing something different? Um, I don't think it was just one, it was a whole series. And I, I remember trying all sorts of stuff. 
Um, I hate giving advice. I'm fundamentally opposed to advice. Um, so my first bit of advice would be ignore advice um, from, from everybody. Um, because uh, I know there's just been a book published, hasn't there? Michael Bungay Stanier, is it? The Advice Monster. Um, you know, pe people are kind of given advice. And, you know, for anybody listening to this, um, I'm not them. You know, I've got different strengths and my context is different. Um, so I wouldn't give advice. However, um, what are the kind of patterns and, and things that I think are helpful? Um, Self-reflection, um, you know, really um, knowing yourself, you know, figuring out what you enjoy, what you don't, um, a bit, applying a bit of sort of appreciative inquiry to yourself. You know, what are the things that have brought you alive? Where do your strengths lie? Um, and then the other thing that I do wish I'd known earlier is about um, I could have accelerated my journey a lot quicker and it's about doing some experiments, you know. So now I'm really with the people I work with, with my clients, we do a lot of learning experiments, which is, OK, look, we think this is something that will work that will get you to where you want to. Um, you know, we've got good evidence that this is something that seems to work, but we don't know what's the quickest way you can try that out and see. So I'd say, um, yeah, be really cautious about advice, you know, reflect, set your eyes on what you think you want and then do some experiments. So if you think you want to leave your job and set up a business, which, which isn't for everybody, you know, mm. at, at the same time, I've got the best job in the world. Um, but at the same time, running your own business, you know, I, I'm not guaranteed an income um, mm. each month and I've, I've got a mortgage. Um, you know, it, it's not for it, it's not for everybody. Um, so but you can try and set things up as a side hustle, you know, can be a little experiment to see whether you enjoy something. What's that mind shift change like then? So going from a salaried role to suddenly the next day, that that now isn't coming anymore. Is there initial anxiety there? Is it excitement? Is it a combination of feelings? All of the above. Yeah. Um, so if I, right, if I give you a really honest answer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, right, I'm going to check the privilege <laughs> here. No, because I'm for, okay, so the business is two people um, and I'm married to the other one. It's my wife. So as a family, we have got all our eggs in one basket. You know, Kingfisher Coaching is our only source of income. So th there's a lot of, you know, everything um, depends on it. Food on the table and, uh, and the mortgage. Yeah, but yeah. I am going to check my privilege because I'm really fortunate that we consistently do well. I, I think one of my greatest fears, and it probably comes from my childhood, is being skint. Um, one of my motivations... Um, you're getting a lot out of me here. I don't normally talk about this stuff. <laughs> One of my motivations is not to live the kind of life that I grew up with in my early years. Um, so I am terrified of being skint. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm also not money motivated as well. It, it's not money that motivates me. Um, you know, want to have enough, but not too much. No, not too much. Sorry, that's not true. I'm happy to have too much. Um, but it isn't a driver for me so it's all sorts of different feelings but normally it doesn't surface because things are okay mm. um uh, but i think when times are tough i know that's a challenge for a lot of people because the time at which you are struggling for business and income is the time you need to be really positive 
and be out there. And I, I think that's a really difficult combo for people. One of the highlighted points that you mentioned was about connecting HR and connecting HR Africa and charity work that you do. So when you speak about these intrinsic drivers, not being money motivated, although if it, if it's going well, I suppose that feels like a bonus. More so kind of like the connect on HR Africa. How did that come about? How, how did that settle? Uh, what? <laughs> right, I'll try and keep it con concise. Um, so what motivates me is impact. You yes. know, it, it's being able not to say I did that, but, you know, I've helped somebody in that way. And that's where I get my real satisfaction from. When I left AstraZeneca, um, I took six weeks off and went and stayed with a friend in Kampala in Uganda. Um, and um, just to make myself useful and did a load of stuff out there and got introduced to a charity called Retrack at the time who were working to um, help children off the streets and, you know, real evidence-based sustainable work. Um, I ended up going into the slums with the workers to help them and so suddenly found out that, you know, in a city like Kampala in Uganda, there's about 10,000 kids who live on the street at any night um, and the charity was helping them. So it was a real sort of smack in the face moment for me, quite life changing. Yeah. When I came back to the UK, discovered that Retrack were headquartered about a mile away from my house. Um, so went along to say hi, introduced myself, started helping. Um, after a while, um, joined the board as a trustee, was invited to do that, um, became chair. Um, and one of the things I did as chair was um, we joined the Hope for Justice family. Um, so to to integrate, so as part of a wider charity, working to eliminate modern slavery and trafficking across yeah. the world. Um, I was in Ethiopia and w with a board, with a board, self-funded visit. And remember coming back from on flight back from Addis Ababa, just thinking, oh, you know, the charity is doing absolutely amazing work. I I'm trying to do my bit. You know, I'm giving mm -hmm. them a time, giving them a money. But. I was so inspired by the children and the families we'd met because they are so resourceful. You know, they haven't got a lot, but they make the most of what little mm. they've got. So that set me off thinking, what have I got that I can can give? Yeah. And I just thought, well, I've got the most brilliant network of people um, along with um, Damiana and Ryan. You know, we run Connecting HR Manchester. We bring people together. And so I founded something that originally we called Connecting HR Africa, um, but we've now renamed to be Connecting HR for Justice yeah. because we've taken teams to Uganda for several years. We've taken teams to Ethiopia and we've delayed it to early next year, but we're taking the team to Cambodia, which is why we couldn't call it uh, just Africa yeah. um, any longer. So, and the idea is we get a team of, of people professionals together um, they pay for all their own flights and travel. They take nine days off work um, and agree to raise money for Hope for Justice. And then we have a trip and we go to that country. So Uganda, Ethiopia, Cambodia. And the main focus is to help the staff with Hope for Justice. We're working alongside the staff and we're using our skills, whether it be coaching or uh, training and development. Um, all sorts of different levels and we also get some exposure and involvement with the children uh, in a really controlled way um 
I'm being really careful in what I say about it because I am deeply opposed to so-called voluntourism, yeah. where you know it becomes like a bit of a gap year and we turn up and you get almost unfettered access to children who are incredibly vulnerable so yeah. everything we do has to be really controlled so the trip is predominantly about helping the staff um and i know i, I am just it's so exceeded my expectations because for people that have been it's been an absolutely life-changing experience um the the team has raised countless money you know with, with significant amounts of money for hope for justice um have experienced just such an amazing experience but it's made a sustainable lasting impact on the staff of the charity it, yeah. it's really it, it really helped them that's absolutely amazing so <laughs> you can you can tell by i know people listening to the podcast but if they see the youtube clip not only will you see my liverpool shirt but you'll also kind of like see ian uh, really kind of um you can see the glee that comes from you from the, the impressive stuff that you're doing over there where it's really having such an impact in front of your eyes how, many, time, how many years have you how many years has it been running in terms of going over and providing them trips oh, i was hoping you weren't going to ask that because i can't remember um <laughs> i think we've done have we done three years don't know i'll look it up in a minute first time i was terrified in case it um i don't mind making a fool of myself and doing something that uh you know i don't mind looking stupid but if i had done something that cost the charity money and actually was a diversion and yeah. wasn't helpful i'd be devastated um so i remember being really worried about it but the team have done all sorts of stuff and then you end up with people like um katrina collier yeah. Um, who runs Disrupt HR London and the sponsors, the sponsorship money goes straight to Hope for Justice. Katrina's written a book, The Robot Proof Recruiter, and all the profits from that go for Hope for Justice. And if people want to get involved in that, can they contact yourself to see what, what they can do and what they can add to it? Yeah, to it? yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Of course. Brilliant. Brilliant. This will be all over social media. So if anyone listening <laughs> kind of wants to get involved in that, that unbelievably inspiring story, get in touch with me and then he'll kind of sort you out. Right, so that's the um, that's the easy stuff done. I suppose it's getting to know yourself a little bit better. Mm. Imagine you're on I'm a Celebrity, um, and then at the end of I'm a Celebrity, you get a choice of a world-class meal. You can choose a starter, a main, and a dessert. What goes on Ian's plate? Oh, I've never watched I'm a Celebrity, so I've got, um, and I'm not planning to. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, starter, starter, starter. Um, starter would hang on I'm going to do it in reverse order then okay let's do it so dessert because this is the way I'd pick it okay if there's tiramisu on the menu I'm going to have that and on some holidays I've had that every night although apple crumble would te would tempt me and if anybody's been to Hispy or any of those restaurants they do an egg custard tart um which is just like the simplest most fantastic thing so it would be that uh for dessert working forwards then main course might be um sweet and sour chicken um yes. although if there's anything with sweet potato that's also going to grab me on the the menu and then starters probably duck spring rolls um oh, yes. i think i, I like my 
food. That's why I have to exercise more than I might <laughs> have to because I really uh, I, I like my food. It's interesting you say that since lockdown, we've um, we've kind of like taken it obviously as it massively is incredibly seriously. So keeping ourselves shielded as much as we can. This Liverpool top I'm wearing, you can't quite see on um, you can't quite see, but you'll be able to see on YouTube. Used to fit. Uh, I realised as I was kind of like putting it on that my head seems to have grown like double its size. So and because it's light green, I'm starting to look like a lion. But you'll be able to notice that on the kind of uh, YouTube link that we send out. That's Actually, I, I didn't know we were videoing it. Otherwise, I'd have had my shirt on. <laughs> oh, that can be for part two. Yeah. The um. Okay. Lastly, then, um, I asked. I gave a bit of homework prior to this of like favorite joke. I'm ready. Let's do this. What's uh, Ian's favorite joke? Do, do, do we have to? We because do. I I can never ever ever remember jokes, and I am absolutely hopeless at telling jokes. But I'm gonna go with a quick. Uh, I'm gonna go with a Tim Vine one liner. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, I rang up my local swimming baths and I said, "Is that the local swimming baths?" And he said, "Well, depends where you're calling from." <laughs> That's it. Boom, boom, boom. I, I I appreciate the good one liners. I was um I was watching uh I was just flicking through YouTube yesterday in between the the football because I was incredibly nervous at that point yeah and there was a kind of like an old two Ronnies sketch on there uh, sorry Morecambe and Wise sketch on there and uh, um they're both in bed together in the pajamas and an ambulance flies past and uh, Eric Morecambe gets up looks out the window and goes it's not going to sell many ice creams going at that speed <laughs> and then was how many times I watch that it proper makes me giggle yeah lastly classic, I, I was classic comedy. Classic. I was uh, I was also conscious I didn't want to make this a football podcast, but then when Williams scored that penalty yesterday to give basically give Liverpool the title, what was your initial feeling? Ah, oh, uh, ju- just all over the place. Um, I, a bit of me didn't want to win it last night. It was a bit of a weird way to win it by City losing. Um, I would have loved to win it at City. Um, but based on previous experience, I have just been so nervous. And, you know, if the title started to go down to the wire and if we started to have like, if we weren't playing so well, you know, like against Everton, my bottle would go. Yeah. You know, so I was just happy to get it um, sort of, yeah, done and dusted. Um, I was watching it on my iPad whilst watching something with my wife. And my wife, it, my wife is a fanatical United supporter, so it, it wasn't exactly the um, optimal um, <laughs> situation in which to watch it. But yeah, I'm absolutely, absolutely chuffed. You know, I'm fortunate to get to go to the match. I love my team. Um, so to have Liverpool as champions of oh. the universe forever, you know, <laughs> it's um, I, I'm incredibly happy about that. Incredibly happy. I would have thought it would have been unbelievable excitement. It was relief. And yeah. as that kind of like hit the back of the net, I just I instantly went unbelievably tired. And BT Sports were running almost like a Liverpool night. Yeah. I just flicked over, couldn't turn off. I think we spoke before this kind of like podcast. I got to half two, and I was thinking, I've got a meeting at eight in the morning. I'm probably gonna have to try and get some sleep. But we're completely wired. That's the last. I'm sorry. I'll talk about football on this podcast. No. But I just wanted to get it out there that Liverpool are the champions of. 2019, 2020? Uh, absolutely. And I I, um, I subscribe to a po- podcast called The Anfield Rap, yeah. which is the only podcast that I pay for. And it's been really good over breakfast this morning to like listen to, you know, reaction from other fans as well. You did 
uh, you wanted to ask me about what I wish I'd knew when I was younger. I did. I you did. still want to know that? I do. Because I was thinking about that when we uh, we chatted and I was thinking about it from an L&D perspective because okay. um, th there's a biggie, um, I think, which is that when I started my own business, I was kind of set it up that, um, okay, I went from a guaranteed salary to no guaranteed salary. Yeah. One of the questions that I think is really important to ask is about what's your ideal client and what's the work that you're best at? Yeah. And if I'm being really honest, 11 years ago, my ideal client was anybody that could pay me. Yeah. You know, it, it was like, oh, if it was sort of learning and development, coaching kind of people stuff that I could turn my hand to, then that was my ideal client. Yeah. And what I've done over time is gone niche and niche and niche and niche. And I have got some stuff. OK, I can turn my hand to a load of stuff, but I've got some stuff that I know inside out, back to front. I can quote you the research. I can talk about the limitations of the research. I can talk about research that's maybe superseded it and cast it in a new light. And I wish I'd specialised a lot earlier. I, I wish theory. because, yeah, that that was a, a and I, I think that's a common mistake that I see a lot of people doing. Um, you know, people that advice that says says yes to everything, you know, say yes to everything. You can't be an expert at everything. No. And, you know, we're in a profession that should be evidence based. So um, that's something I wish I'd done earlier is that I don't have to be everything to everybody. I can have stuff that I am really, really good at and do that. And I can say no to other stuff, even though I could turn my hand to it. Do you think the anxiety flares that? So when it's kind of like leaving the um, leaving a salary-based profession and then suddenly you're out in the market and that worry about pay coming in, that you try and cast your net as big as possible to accept any client um, and it ends up being your own hamstring? I, I think there's a little bit um, of that. I also think, um, right, it's quite difficult to upset me, but one way to do it is to, is to call me a freelancer. Um, <laughs> Because I, you know, I run a business yeah. and, and by that, I've got a mission, I've got a strategy, I've got a plan, I invest money back into the business and I take it, I take everything I do really seriously, I take it really seriously. And part of that is that, you know, I don't have to do everything. I've got a really intentional focus on what it is I do. And I just think, yeah, day one, it was like, I hadn't got my head around, I'm running a business. Um, and again, I often see that taking a bit of time for people to get the, the head around. I, yeah. I always think everybody should do it at some point. You know, yeah. I, I have learned so much from doing it. It's uh, yeah, been a real, a real eye opener. Do you know where the um, do you know where the term freelance came from? So in the um... why, why would I know? <laughs> well, I, I, I feel like I can think about absolutely anything, but this feels like walking across the ice. Uh, however. Freelance came from kind of um, Knights of the Realm type times where oh. there was lancers who didn't really appeal to any particular type of royalty or monarch or any particular area. So they pay them anything and you become freelance. Yeah. There, uh, well, there you go. There you go. A little bit of learning. What yeah. I was going to do was kind of summarise the kind of call that we had and two key themes are um, sticking out for me. One is the point you made towards the end where you were suggesting that specialise sooner. Uh, get your craft, feel comfortable with that area that you're doing and really drill down in that area. And the second one was when we spoke about advice at the beginning, mm. um, where you were suggesting that 
do little behavioural experiments, try things, reflect on them, share some of that learning, get some feedback and really honest insights towards what you're doing and learn from them experiences. And they might be yeah. two key themes in terms yeah. of setting. And that's crucial. It's so easy to fall into looking to other people for answers. So um, I didn't say this because I was trying not to be irritating, but I'm, I'm coming out of lockdown a lot slimmer and fitter than I started. Oh, um, and, you know, I've been creating new habits. I've possibly seen the spin bike behind me um, this morning. I think is that my 60th day I've done spin class, um, you know, without interruption um and but when i sort of set my mind because my fitness has alternated from fit to unfit yeah. my weight typically is fluctuated by about three stone yeah. you know so when you see me i might be significantly different sizes <laughs> and i've just thought oh, i'm getting too old now i need to find a way not just to get fit but to stay fit yeah and my you know i'm in my early 50s well yeah, I'm, no, I'm hanging on too early. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I've had experience of getting really fit. Yeah. But even then, my first temptation is to start reading blog posts about other people's fitness journey yeah. and buy a book or something like that. And it's like, comes down to something fundamental. I'd, I'd say time and time again in my work, I am the expert in me. You know, yeah. it, it's so reflecting on what works for me, what scuffers me, what gets in the way, how I've dealt with that um rather than necessarily turn to everybody else for advice uh, yeah. is a really rich source of uh of, of insight brilliant thank you again for sharing that and thank you for thank you for this podcast it's been absolutely amazing for me um do you want to know the sneak peek who's up next week uh, yeah i do so next week is the brilliant jilly julian do you want to know ah. what the title of the podcast is going to be called i've worked on this one you ready you ready uh julian is jilly julian yeah, excellent. There we go. So, you know, tune in for the puns. Uh, thank you so much, Ian. That's been absolutely brilliant. Pleasure. N nice to chat with the uh, fellow scouser. Always. <laughs> See you later. Okay. Cheers, mate.